Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. For three days only, save up to 30% off bestsellers from First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store. They'll also have for sale the Bear Grease Trucker Hats and Camo. They're included in this sale and all the great gear on First Light. Whether you're fishing, shed hunting, scouting, sighting in rifles, or cutting lanes, your gear needs to keep up with all your spring and summer pursuits. The sale has you covered. Hurry, the sale ends May 16th. Shop now at firstlight.com, F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. Welcome back to another episode of Cutting the Distance Podcast. Today, I have a special guest. We're in an Airbnb in the middle of beautiful Montana. This person is known for a lot of things. Of course, he's known for his elk calling prowess. But I I can guarantee you, he is the only person in history to kill a bull elk wearing a Hulk Hogan costume. This was in 2019. So you'll have to scroll back a few years through all the videos and find this video. But I have none other than the amazing Jason Glenn Phelps, as you Instagrammers might know, know him as. Welcome, welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for that intro. I really appreciate being here. I think you should have had that approved before you laid it out there. <laughs> no, I, I, I like to make you uncomfortable. I know, and I needed to edit that out. But, uh, that's the uh, best. That part. was good. That was yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and hey, this is kind of a side note. This is off topic today, but Jason has an Instagram account. You may not know this um, if you follow, follow the Phelps Game Calls um, Instagram page. Jason, in the last few months, has started his own Instagram page. He puts a lot of half naked naked selfies on there. Um, he shows progress from like working out and like dieting and bikini shots. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no, but. Um, I have way more followers than Jason, and I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're saying is do not follow. Do not so, follow me. Do not follow Jason. So it's Jason Glenn Phelps. Yep. Look it up on Instagram. We got to get him some followers. And while you follow him, give me a follow too. It's The Bugler, Dirk Durham, The Bugler, just The Bugler, one word. Um, give me a follow if you like our content. And um, give Jason a, f- a follow too. He, <laughs> he, he's in a bad way. He, he needs that, oh. that traction. You know what my full name, Jason Glenn Phelps, like that's what my mom would yell at me as I was getting like chased around the house with a wooden spoon. That's what it, that's the memory my full name brings back. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, I've, I think I've yelled it a couple times. We've been deer hunting. When you really like, need to get my Jason attention. Glenn Phelps. There's <laughs> yeah. an elk over here. Or, no, no, no. There's a deer over here. Um, I think I yelled that at you today. But uh, um, anyway, today, um, and I'm going to have to apologize to our listeners. Um, I gave you the guys the sec- super secret number to call in to ask a question so we can answer it online here um, or on the podcast. And the problem, here's the biggest problem. So when I did that, I recorded a whole bunch of podcasts because I've been gone for the whole month of September, the month of October. And here we are in November, I'm still hunting. And Jason, he's been doing a lot of the same. So a lot of the podcast episodes you've been enjoying haven't been real time. So I was unable to get your question answered online in a timely fa- fashion, which kind of sucks because there's some folks that had some some hunting intended for this fall, but I think it's still relevant for the show. And I think, and, you know, we're not leading into elk season. I mean, elk season, September is kind of a distant memory and we want to kind of um, kind of touch base, refresh, think about those kind of things because Phelps and I have been talking about 2024 already we're, we're making plans for elk season and we want to make sure that um, we have everything dialed in and so i think this is a great time to kind of answer some of those questions that way for folks who are planning ahead for next year they can kind of think about it listen to what we say 
digest it, agree, disagree, kind of formulate their own system and kind of move forward for elk season in 2024. So anyway, Phelps, do you have anything to say before we get started on this? Oh, I'm like, Ready to start answering questions? Um, I know Jason always says this on his podcast. When he's when he's the host, he always says, "Hey guys, if you have any questions, <laughs> uh, email us at ctd at why what ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com. Right. But you were just trying to talk in my voice, and I felt like you had to make me sound like a nerd. What? No, I was. I, I no. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, when he always says, and then you talked in a funny voice that <laughs> made me sound like a nerd. Well, I'm but. sorry. I'm no. I'm no, yeah. I'm, I yeah. like to mimic people. Yeah, we have voices. an email set up at CTD, cutting the distance, CTD at phelpsgamecalls.com. And yeah. you can send us message or emails there or messages on social, and we'll do our best to kind of grab those, all those questions and kind of compile them and, and try to have our guests answer them. Right. And if you want me to answer them, don't send them to that because oh. Je- I never see those questions. Justin I do. I pass them on. Well, I get them every answered. now and then. Every yeah. now and then. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's like, I don't know what to tell these people. Dirk, can you tell yeah. them? Yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah. They're like, Jason, I don't want you to answer. I want Dirk to answer. And so I got to pass them on to him. <laughs> uh, all right. So question number one, um, I'm going to turn this up and uh, let's see if we can get this answered. Hey, Dirk. My name is Garrett Harmon. I'm calling from Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, my question is, is how you would go about hunting a once-in-a-lifetime tag. Um, I drew one of arguably the best second-season archery elk tags in New Mexico this year. Um, and I was wondering, I'm feeling a lot of pressure and putting a lot of pressure on myself, and I was just wondering how you go about tackling a tag like this. Um, any advice would be great. Um, thank you for everything you do. Well, first off, I want to apologize because we should have answered this in real time because he's got a a tag of a lifetime in New Mexico. I'm sorry. Um, But we do have some advice. I'm going to let Jason go first. Yeah. So we we struggle. We've got some good tags, right? And it's one of – it's a blessing and a curse. It's it's awesome that you got the opportunity. But just like you, I feel extreme pressure when I draw these tags, whether it's a great archery tag, great rifle tag. And one thing I have to like – it's very important for me leading into the hunt is just to remember that I love to hunt and why I'm out there hunting. It's, it's, it might seem a little cliche to go back and, and kind of boil it down to that. But, um, when you got good tags, there's, I think everybody feels a little more pressure. You have to perform. It's your, it may be your opportunity for that, you know, trophy of a lifetime or the animal that you're after, or maybe, you know, somebody hasn't experienced success and they're looking at this once in a lifetime tag is just their first stepping stone, you know, in successes. Um, so, so first of all, like, I feel it's important to go back and boil it down to, to why you're out there and um, kind of from that point, remember that you're out there to have fun. Like this is a, a once in a lifetime potentially, or, or one of those like upper, upper tiered hunts. And, and you just need to remember to have a lot of fun, um, you know, going into that. Um, now that's, that's more of a mindset. Now there are things you can do on the technical, tactical, physical, mental side, right? Um, I feel like I go into my uh, my better tags a little more focused, a little more like ready. Um, whether I've trained a little bit harder, it, it gives me motivation. Um, you know, I, I kind of always hate motivation when it because it, it is triggered by things. You know, if you're disciplined enough, you'll. But but I go into those things a little better shape. You know, I've I've did a little more e scouting going into those. I've called the biologist a little bit more than normal. I've talked to outfitters in the area, um, but it really hopefully when you runs into a tag like this, you've had the ability to have some hunting under your belt. And I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit astray. Uh, this is why I, I, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, uh, proponent of, of getting a lot of experience, right? Go out there and enjoy spike tags, go out there and enjoy these other tags, get experience calling elk in whatever it may be. So that when this once in a lifetime opportunity finally comes, it's not your first experience with a bull at 20 yards, 30 yards, um, you, you need to be prepared, which is not a great answer because you've already drawn the tag and, and your chance to, 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 to figure that out may not be there. But um, for everybody else, before you draw this once-in-a-lifetime tag, get out there, experience, you know, calling an elk, experience, um, you know, having elk at, at very close range, experience those emotions, um, you know, those mental breakdowns, whatever may come, and figure out how to push through that, figure out the mechanisms you need to have uh, to push through that, and then, um, you know, kind of get through it. But there's not... 
Uh, aside from maybe being a little more prepared, um, I still put more stress on myself on these better tags. You just you just need to go out and enjoy it, and um, hopefully that experience kind of kind of plays itself out um, because you do have a good tag. And uh, don't don't put too much pressure on yourself because it will take the fun out of the hunt. And I've been on both sides, and uh, that's the best advice I can give. Man, I really love that. Um, a really good friend of mine here drew a. Uh, uh, probably arguably the best elk tag in Idaho in 2022. And, uh, he's, he's my age. He's, he's 48 years old. Well, I'm 49. He's so really old. (laughs) (laughs) Ancient. (laughs) So he's a little bit younger than me, but we, we talked about it and he said, you know, he's like, I'm so glad that I drew this tag in my late forties. He's like, because if I'd have drawn that in my twenties and my thirties, he's like, I would have worked I would have, I would have hunted like it was a job. Like I would have, I would probably would have, it wouldn't have been fun. And I would have put way too much stress on myself. And he's like, honestly, I'm my only goal for this tag. He's like, I don't have a, a goal of inches. I have a goal of having the hunt of a lifetime, just the, the best time, enjoy, savor every moment, the ups, the downs, all of it. I just want to enjoy that hunt and remember the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so. yeah. I, you know, in the question, he talks about like the stress and it's just, if you boil it down, like that's not, that shouldn't be part of the hunt. Like stress and and not to, not, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but like stress from what, like we, this is like self-imposed reasons, right? Like, are you, are we concerned that people are, I'm, I'm going to throw myself in here because I'm in the same boat. Like, are we concerned people are going to judge us that we weren't successful with a great tag? Like the heck with all of that. Like, just go have fun, hunt, make it a hunt of a lifetime. Like you just said, and, and like put all the other stuff aside. Um, just, just go enjoy the experience. Enjoy being in a great unit, which typically being in a great unit, you're going to hear more bugles. You're going to have more action. It's like, take all that in and, and throw away the, the, the extra stress. And uh, because it comes from a, a bad place anyways, I feel like it's, it's you wanting to, to, you know, find success or you not wanting to, to maybe let people down that know you have the tag, whatever it may be. Like all that is, is just, you know, it's not worth it. Just go have fun, enjoy it. And, and you're going to have a better experience and, you know, probably have better success by, by going into it with that mindset. Yeah. Absolutely. And one, the, my, my thoughts on the subject too, uh, kind of a little different note, um, is I feel like sometimes people hear, I mean, I think I found myself guilty of this before, like, um, oh, they drew this tag. Oh, well, it's going to be easy. It's, it's, it's not going to be as hard as public land hunting. I think sometimes these draw tags, especially the really good ones are, they're harder. They're like harder than a normal over-the-counter public land hunt. These, because, <clears throat> I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a more um, target-rich environment. There's going to yep. be a lot way more game. There's going to be more, way more animals to to play with. But you can't like like let your guard down and think, oh well, I don't have to try as hard. I can just show up and kind of half-ass it and yep. and get an elk. Yeah. Um. I feel like you have to show up and work just as hard as you would on a normal over-the-counter tag, if not harder, and just maximize that time. So this this is back like, don't stress yourself out with this, but you have to like, you know what? We're not going to sleep in. Yep. We're not going to spend the mil- – we're not going to spend our middays in camp eating ribeyes. We're going <laughs> to – we're going to work really hard. We're going to get up at 3 a.m. if that's what we need to do. We're going to we're, we're going to hunt all day from dark to dark and we're going to leave nothing on the table. That way when we when we're done, whether we're whether we take an elk or a deer, whatever it is you're after, whether you, whatever you take at, at the end, you can say I left nothing on the table. Yep. I gave everything I had for that time I had was having and it was the hunt of a lifetime. Yep. Yep. Great. Uh, question number two. Hello, my name is Hattie Zobot. I'm a new archery hunter, and I have not spent a lot of time getting set up for a shot of 40 yards or less. When you are looking for a spot, what are you looking for in the brush or, sorry, um, woods? How do you determine what a good location is? And what is your strategy for getting set up for the best shot you can once you've located an elk and that elk is coming in on you? Thanks so much. Bye. Okay, so she doesn't have a lot of experience 
it setting up or animals being inside of 40 yards and how do we determine where we're going to set up um, if that bull's coming in or we expect the bull to come in. Uh, did I get that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So there, there's, there's, I'm going to answer this in, in a couple different ways. There's what you're given on the ground. A lot of times we find ourselves in less than ideal setups. You just can't make an ideal setup. Uh, on the ground. You know, you may be in a brush hole, you may be in a wide open timber stand where there is no terrain break, no vegetation break, and you're just kind of forced to set up where you need to set up, whether it's, you know, get the wind right, um, try to be, you know, for me personally, like on on the level or slightly downhill from the bowl if I can. Um, those things all kind of are just rules of thumb, but I say this because it's easy to say it while you're talking, but the real situation out in the, in, in, the, in the woods is you set up where you can, where you know when you can, where you can. Um, you've got time running against you. Um, you've got a bull coming in or potentially coming in. Or sometimes you may have time to set up with a little bit better setup. Um, you got to make the best. You know, there was times this year where I set up where I'm like, ah, oh, it's not ideal, but I have a 20 yard window here. You know, it's like that's all that's going to work. But I had I couldn't foresee anything better. I couldn't move forward. And so you've got to make the best, you know, best, best with what you're given. Um, now an ideal setup, if you have the ability, um, anybody that's hunted archery, hunted elk long enough has dealt with hangups. Um, I think dirt can attest to this. I can like every year you're going to have bulls hang up, um, no matter how well you pick your setup, but you want to try to prevent that if you can. And, and in my opinion, I could be wrong. Um, but what I've seen from my you know experience of, of elk doing this or not doing this is when an elk gets to a spot where they can see, visually see, not hear anymore, not smell, none of that. It, it, I think it's their sense of sight. When they get to a point where they should be able to see the elk that's calling to them, being us with the call in our mouth, however we're doing it, or the caller behind us, they expect to be able to see that elk. They are now a little more nervous. They're a little more on edge. Like, hey, I've put in the work to get to this point. Like, and, and a lot of times they'll get to this hang up spot and they will call or they'll do something. Uh, you know, whether they posture, whether they call, whether they, uh, they expect the caller to do the rest of the work. Now, if this is, if this is truly a visual thing, we need to set up either on a terrain break, meaning that the, the terrain goes from flat to steep, steep to flat side hill, a finger ridge, you know, something that will block the visibility of you and that bull. But when they do get to the point where, where they can visually see that that, that elk calling to him, whether you're bugling a bull elk or whether you're cow calling, you know, that cow elk that should be in this location, you need to be able to shoot. Um, and, and with that said, I like to be within 40 yards, like you, you mentioned in the question to that terrain break or vegetation break. You know, a lot of times if there's clean timber that gets to a brush, they will need to break through that brush. If they're in brush and they're breaking out into clean timber where you're at, they will get to that edge of the brush or somewhere in there where they're, they've got good sight. Um, and this is one of the reasons I don't get to hunt with a lot of two-person calling setups, but this is where having a caller potentially 30, you know, not, I don't like to be too far back, but 20 or 30 yards back because now the perceived elk that they should be able to see is now 20 or 30 yards behind you. If you do this right, or you put them in a location where there's another visual break and that elk can't see them, but you're now 30 yards ahead of them, it will potentially pull that bull past the hangup spot for you as the shooter and bring them in, in for an archery shot. So when I set up, I'm looking, I like to look at it as, as basically a 90 degree window where the bull's coming in or something like that. Like I want, you know, if I look 45 degrees to my left, 45 degrees to my right, ideally I have multiple shooting lanes from zero to 40 or 50, 60 yards, right? So if that bull crosses to my left, trying to get wind, I've got a shooting lane here. You know, if he crosses you know, I, I'm pointing, nobody can see me pointing here, obviously, but you know, if they cross in these different valleys, I'd like to have a couple different, whoops, excuse me, hit my mic there. Um, I'd like to have a couple different shooting lanes um, where if that bull, depending on where he comes in, I will get a shot from zero to 60. Now, a lot of times, you know, you, it's a balance of you want some cover, but you want some shooting lanes. Um, you want, you want to have enough opportunities in there. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to set up where I can hopefully prevent that bull from hanging up. And then when I do set up, I like to have my shooting lanes. And I've talked about this a lot. Um, set yourself up in front of obstacles and brush and material. Like let the let your camo or let your solids. What it, I'm not going to get into argument what you need to have, but let your silhouette be broken up by brush or a tree, something behind you, and then you stand in front of it. That way you're you're free to move in any direction. Um, you know, if the bull comes in a different direction, you can move. Um, 
And that's kind of my best advice for a setup. Um, the hang up, in my opinion, comes from letting that bowl be able to see too far um, into your location. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, <clears throat> I, in fact, when I when I set up, I even kind of take it like one step further on my shooting lanes. I I don't like to have very many shooting lanes. I like to have just a couple okay shooting lanes. I want to be able. I want that bull um, to have to come into like. 30, 40 yards, may preferably 30 yards before he could ever see where those calls are coming from. Right. So, and this is typically for a solo setup. Um, like Jason said, if I have a caller behind me, I want them to be behind me, but I don't want them too far to where I can't see them. I want to re- keep eye contact. That way we can signal each other. It's like, Oh, we need to move up or Hey, caller move back or move up or down the hill, whatever. Um, because sometimes as the caller, when you're back there, you don't know, what's going on up, up in, up where the shooter, the shooter's standing. Um, it's sometimes you can't hear those little nuanced sounds is like, well, that bull's moving this way. It's moving that way. So if we can signal each other, um, we, we, sim- we tend to have a better, a better, uh, result in the end. But, uh, in, it all kind of depends too, you know, on your, on your maximum effective yardage. You know, if you're really good out, past 60 yards and maybe you want to set up like that but i feel like if anytime i set up to where it's a little further distance to where they can come in and eyeball me sometimes they 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 hang up and i may not get a shot but if they have to come in really close and i don't i i like to i like to shoot close i like to be that 30 yards or less maybe 40 if i'm pushing it because i don't like person for my maximum effective distance i like to keep it at 40 or less just because i know that if I have that shot, I'll 100% make it. Um, but everyone's different. Yep. Now, as far as as I'm traveling, as as I'm moving towards the bull, and I'm, I'm doing a few things. I'm looking at as every step of the way as I'm going towards that bull, as I feel like I'm getting closer to that elk. Let's say I've I've traveled 300 yards across a ravine or something to get close to this bull. Um, I've I've traveled quietly. Uh, I haven't been bugling, but most of the way, I don't make a lot of, I don't pop, I pop, I pop as much brush as I want until I get into that zone. It's like, I think that elk is probably going to be a couple hundred yards away now, maybe a hundred yards away. I'm going to get really quiet and I'm going to be very calculated at a point. And I'm going to, and what I do is I look ahead to where if, if I could see an elk standing there and he could see me, what's that distance? Is that 80 yards? Is that 60 yards? Is that a hundred yards? Um, if it's, if I only have visibility to 30 yards, I start thinking, okay, I'm getting in a good place to maybe call this bull into. Um, but let's say I get over there and I can see a hundred yards through big open timber. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to pause for a minute and kind of reassess. I'm going to, number one, I'm not going to want to start calling until, I get to a point where mm, I think he's pretty close to here, but I don't want to start making a bunch of calls right now to where he could like all, all of a sudden appear um, 100 yards away and look and see my location because he's going to be expecting to see an elk and then he's going to stop and he's going to look a little bit and then he's going to leave. So I'm going to probably be a little calculated before I show my hand, my my cart, my hand of cards f- per se. Um, if I get to that 100 yards, like mm, I don't like this spot, I'm going to but I think he's close. I'm going to creep forward slowly and I'm probably going to use my binoculars a little bit. I'm going to have my eyes just fixated on picking apart every little bit of brush, looking for movement, whether I see an antler tying, whether I see an ear moving, whether I, whether I, I see a black nose or a black mane, I'm going to be looking for that bull. And then I'm going to get through that section. And usually you'll get a hundred yards or so. And then the, the timber will grow a little denser. Maybe you'll have some younger trees and it'll get a little thicker. And it's like, okay, now I'm starting to get to a place where it's a little bit, I can't see as far. Now I'm going to start picking apart. Okay. I want to have a couple pretty good, pretty good, um, shooting lanes. Um, uh, you mentioned 40 yards, um, maximum 40 yards, you know, it's like, okay, I shoot 40 yards there. Um, or maybe 20 yards. So maybe one pretty decent one and maybe one so-so one. And I found when I do this, bulls come in a lot closer and um, they don't just stand out there and just look at me. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. 
Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. All right. Next question. Hey, guys. It's Dan up here in North Idaho. Had a question for you. Um, being here up here in North Idaho in the thick brush country, um, often I uh, have uh, rely heavily on our calling, of course, since you, it's hard to glassman and whatnot. But uh, often I have a, will have an interaction with the bull calling back and forth, and I know that they that bull will still be in the area. Um, my question, I was wondering if you can confirm that that bull or whatever is still in the same area and you want to go back and try them another day, do you go back in there with uh, different calls, different mouth calls, different bugle tubes, or do you uh, think they have a memory for that kind of stuff? Um, just curious. Thanks for the show. Talk to you later. Bye. So bulls and their memory and, and calls. And, and I have a different opinion now than when I started. Um, I felt like uh, if I if I was calling to a bull and, and wasn't able to call him in, I needed to switch my diaphragm up or I needed to go from an external, you know, a cow call or whatever it may be. Um, in my opinion, I, I not that elk aren't smart animals, but I don't feel they've got the ability to associate like elk calls with with the next elk with now, an individual individual now with not saying this is only affects people that aren't good callers but if you sound like a elk or close enough to a real elk and they believed it at that time then you're probably okay now if there's suspect sounds i think elk could potentially and you make the suspect sounds the first time and the second time like i'm not i'm not going to vouch for you that they're not going to pick that out multiple times or every time you do it Let's let's assume you call good enough. You know, you, it sounds like you rely on your calls a lot um, in North Idaho, Brushy. Um, if you're a good enough caller, I don't feel if you sound like an elk, you can really mess things up or they uh, attribute it to memory. 
I do get a little concerned, number one, if I ever get winded why I'm calling. Um, now, I don't know. I'm saying I get concerned. Now, I don't know if that has just educated them for the season, if it's educated them for two days, three days, a week. Um, sometimes we went back in there. A lot of times I'll give them a day or two just because in my head, it's like, man, it, I, they, I winded them. I busted them. Like, I'm not going to put pressure on them again. I want to let that you know memory subside. Now, I, I'm speculating here a lot. Um, getting winded while calling um, is concerning. Um, being seen while calling, I think, has got to trigger something. Like, why is there a predator or, you know, a human looking at me that sounds just like us. I, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking of this like a human, like I can't say what an elk actually, um, understands. So with that said, to, to, to not circle around this question, I, not to sound overconfident or pretentious or anything, I feel like I sound enough like an elk with, through my calling that I can go back in there and not switch diaphragms, not switch my style. As long as I know I didn't get winded, um, and I don't feel that an elk's memory, um, a matter of fact, I've got enough, you know, boots on the ground, real world experience to tell, you know, be very confident that it doesn't matter. Um, I've called to a bull one day, didn't work out, come back in the next day and kill him with the same exact sequence and the same exact diaphragm in my mouth. Um, so yeah, I, I don't feel you can really, um, mess up by, or, or by using the same calls or that you have to go through the process of switching your calls up or going from a diaphragm one day to an external cow call the next day to a, you know, a squeeze call the next, whatever you're using. Um, I don't think you have to go to those extents. Um, either the bulls you're going to, it's going to be right or it's going to be wrong. Um, regardless of what calls in your mouth. Um, my opinion, um, I do play a little bit of defense there if, if they've got winded when I come back in or, or whatnot, but I don't feel if you sound like an elk, um, you can really screw up too bad. My opinion's pretty sim- similar to yours. Um, I feel like if you haven't busted that bull, if you haven't um, spooked him out of there, um, yeah, you can you could definitely go back in with, you know, um, the next day or or maybe you want to let it set for a couple days before you go back in, whatever. Uh, I don't think you need to switch up your calls. But I will say from an anecdotal experience where um, there was a time several years ago, I called in a bull and I missed him. I hit a, I hit a branch and I missed him and he spooked off and ran off, but he kept bugling. So I pr- pushed up on him, pressured him and he, he came in a couple more times, but I had pressured him really hard that day. Um, and one time he caught me in the open and he, I don't know that he saw me, but I had to lay completely flat on the ground cause he caught me in a, in an open trail and I had to lay down so he wouldn't see me when he came back. But then he finally eventually just kind of spooked off. But I went back the next day thinking, well, this guy was hot. I'm going to get him the next day. And I could see him. It was in kind of some kind of cut over timber. So I could see him at a distance. And I got out of my truck, hiked up the hill, got to the spot, called, I, I bugled. And soon as, and he was feeding at the time. As soon as I bugled, he threw his head up and he ran like a the opposite direction, the complete opposite direction. So I feel like that, that pressure that I'd put on him the day before, um, probably fouled that up. Yep. And what we don't know is like, once that, once that scenario plays itself out and you're like, well, I didn't get him. I'm going to go back home or whatever. I'm going to leave. Who's to say that bull doesn't come back and sniff around like our scent can be left on the ground for yep. quite a while. You know, I probably took a leak afterwards cause I'd probably been holding it for a while, yeah. but those things come back around and sniff around the area a little later on in the day. And they're like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't like what happened earlier. Yep. I don't know if they're that smart, but I feel like if you've bumped them, if they've seen you, if you've spooked them pretty hard, you might want to give them a couple days to kind of forget. Or the next time when you go back in, maybe you want to take your different bugle tube and a different diaphragm and, and kind of mix up your, the sounds you yep. make. Um, and try it can't hurt. Different. I mean, like I said, I can take different. I, it seems like if I take different bugle tubes or different diaphragms, I end up sounding the same because <laughs> I'm trying to force myself to sound like a certain sound. But um, yeah, I, I I agree. You can you can change things up a little bit, just if nothing else, to give you the confidence that you're doing something different. I, a little bit of a placebo effect, right? Like, um, I, I'm of the opinion that it's either it's either right or it's wrong. You know, the, the time's right. Or, or it's wrong. And, and I don't know if it really matters what's in your mouth for a call. 
um, you know, you're either going to sound like an, a cow and he wants to come in and, and, and find a new cow, or you're going to sound like a bull and he wants to come in and run you off. Um, regardless of maybe what you sound like is my opinion, not, not saying it's fact, but, uh, I, I'm more of the opinion though, that it's either right or it's wrong at the time that you're, you're using that call and it doesn't necessarily matter, um, what you sound like. I love it. I have to agree with a lot of that. All right. Next question. Hey, Dirk, I appreciate this. Um, I, I just got done with my second archery elk hunt and, um, Bulls are pretty vocal down in New Mexico in the Gila. Bulls are pretty vocal, but quickly I was kind of realizing that when we were vocal using cow calls and stuff, they would be vocal and kind of stop, and we'd cut the distance. But the second we'd introduce a bull, they they'd create distance from us, and we were we would never be able to we were never able to get on them. Um, so my question is, do you think that elk can decipher between human and hunter, and do you think that they do that? Do you think that they stay vocal in order to keep tabs on us to stay away from us? Thank you. Man, that's a deep one. I'm trying to process it all here. Um, I'm going to try to re re restate the question, make sure I got it, and I'll let Dirk correct me. So it sounds like they were in the Gila, had elk bugling, um, being vocal. And when they would cow call, the elk would sometimes cut the distance or, or move in. But when they would bugle, the elk would shut up or maintain their distance or get further away. I think that's it. Um, for the most part. And uh, without having any any further detail, um, I think the distance or the the timing of your bugles is maybe more important than just saying, and I, I've got to speculate here. Um, I, I've talked about this a lot on, on even it, it maybe ranks up as my number one mistake. Why, why calling elk is did you beagle when you thought you were a hundred yards away or knew you were a hundred yards away, or did you beagle when you thought you were 300 or 400 yards away and, and expected that to work? Um, from my experience, and I, I learned the hard way, um, many, many times of, of uh, wanting to, to get a bull to beagle as I came in, I would, you know, beagle locate. I would beagle a little bit down the hill or up, you know, as I approach, I'd beagle again. And I'm like, man, this elk is staying the same distance no matter what I do. You'd call um, your way to the bull. Yeah, I would, because I, whether I wanted the confidence, I wasn't confident in where he was at, so I wanted to hear him again to make sure I was going the right spot. Um, so you call, you beagle again, you get an answer. But you can only do that so many times until you get to a spot where he's going to now pull his cows away and just leave, right? He's going to avoid any confrontation if he can for the most part. Um, with that said, I bugled myself into bedding areas where that bull wasn't going to move an inch and it, and it worked out. But for the most part, especially in the morning before they've actually bedded down, um, I try to make sure that I don't bugle until I'm very, very close. I feel that bugling your way into a bull from the time you locate until the time you're within the red zone or the bubble is the the potential greatest cause for that bull leaving or getting out of the area with his cows. Um, of course, we're talking about herd bulls here, which it sounds like I'm, I'm going to speculate that that's what you're you're hunting. Um, but with with that said, timing of the bugle, um, I'd be very curious, to, and I know we can't have a dialogue, but I'd be curious to know if you were bugling at 300 yards or 100 or 500, like how that worked and, and kind of if the bull completely disappeared and stopped bugling or if the bull would just kind of stay an equidistance apart the entire time. Um, in those situations, uh, I would, like I said, you got to just, you got to get closer to bugle. You have to be quiet. You have to make some assumptions. You have to be confident that those, those elk are going to be in that location. And once, get very, once very you close. locate them. Yes. Once you locate them, then what? You've got to almost assume where they're at at that point. Um, now some people might be like, well, I know right where they're at when they bugle for me, a lot of times, whether it's mountain country or broken country, I'm like, there's a bull down in that Canyon. I don't know exactly where he's at, but there's something in that Canyon. And you know, whether it's a, a long distance bugle, whatever it may be. So a lot of times you pull out your mapping software for us, it's on X. You're like, all right, he's down that Canyon. You put your little, you hit the, I don't even know what the button is on the bottom right of Onyx. You hit the button and it tells you exactly which direction you're pointing your phone. You kind of pointed at the bugle. You're like, I think he's about 500 yards away. He's about in here, right? So now I've got a point in my head or on the map, and I've got to assume that he's going to be there. Now, um, if it's going to take you an hour to get there, he might not be there, right? And and so you've got to, you've got to add all this in. But um, 
you've just got to get really, really close to elk um, when you're going to bugle. You know, we we maybe talk about it too much that we you know we're, we're beagle beagle heavy callers, um, but we're we're always trying to get very, very tight. You know, we locate from a distance. Um, you get a response, basically like a, a game of Marco Polo, but you don't you don't say it again until you get within tight tight distance of them because I, I feel your your chances of calling them in are are very very um, difficult and uh, you know in those instances if you're going to call them longer distances and a lot of times you're not going to call this herd bull in if you do this but sticking to the cow calls like you said um, you're most likely going to call in some of those satellite bulls and they may be great bulls I mean if you're just after any legal elk and you're not after or any legal bull and you're not after that herd bull it, it may be a great tactic but um, that's just my opinion I I can't ask you you know the exact you know, um, situation, but my, my speculation is you were, uh, maybe bugling a little too far out, which would allow that bull time to round his cows up and, and get away from you. That's a great answer. Um, one thing I'd like to bring up too is, um, he, he said he was second time, second year elk hunting. Now, sometimes new callers, and I don't want to assume that you're not a good caller, but sometimes as new callers, we don't sound like an elk very good. You know, sometimes we make some bugles that are a little suspect, Like Maybe your cow calls sound really good. Maybe your bugles sound not so good. And if, especially if you're hunting in an area that's had some pressure or whatever, or maybe, um, you know, I've heard some elk calls before in the woods, um, guys running calls and it sounded nothing like an elk and they were selling it hard. Like it was an elk and it was not an elk sound at all. So you have to like, you know, to look at the man in the mirror a little bit and yep. like, do my, are my elk calls authentic? Now you don't have to sound like some world champion elk caller, your favorite YouTube celebrity, whatever. You, what you have to sound is like an elk and elk make all sorts of weird vocalizations. And some of them sound really terrible, but what they do have is they do have that realism. Um, there's some, there's a, there's a, a level of realism to the call. It may not be a perfect call, but it does still have some realism to them. But if you're, your, your calls are, you know, subpar and they're just not sound like a, a real elk, then right now, here we are, it's November, pick up a call and wear out a few between now and next September, you know, practice, practice, practice. It's a five, 10 minute thing a day. It's not a five hour thing a day. You're not have to do this for an hour a day unless you want to, but even five, 10 minutes a day is definitely going to move the needle. So by the time next fall comes, you're going to be very familiar with your call. The call you want to make is going to come out of your bugle and you're going to sound pretty authentic. Um, that would be my first thing. Now, New Mexico, um, we've hunted New Mexico a few times and I know I, we got a lot of advice from people who've hunted New Mexico before. One, one piece of advice I was given was don't ever call, no, don't ever bugle to bulls in New Mexico. They don't bugle to bugles. And I said, okay, what should we do? Well, be very, very heavy on cow calls. Um, okay, great. Day one, New Mexico, lots of cow calls. I'm doing lots of cow calls. Hardly no bugles. I'm just not getting any reaction. I'm not getting any replies from these elk. I'm not getting, you know, nothing's good, nothing's bad. I start bugling like I start running my normal program where I do, I'm pretty bugle heavy, but I do use a lot of cow calls too. Now I'm starting to get reactions from these elk. So you can't always take all of the advice as gospel. There's good advice in, in every, in, you know, there's, 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 there's shades of truth to everyone's advice, but you have to take that that advice um, for what it's worth and for the day and the situation that you're in. So if, if like, let's say one day you're doing some cow calls, but you're just not calling anything in, try some bugles. And if those bugles are working, great, stick with them. Or if the bugles are not working, let's say your, your, your calls sound good, like you, and, and you're bugling, but the elk keep moving away, maybe you should lay off the bugles. Maybe let's, let's just go to cow calls, maybe try to locate them really good and try to figure, pick them down exactly where that bull is and then get there quietly. Get as, get as close, up close and personal to that bull as you can. And maybe at that time, it'd be time to do some cow calls. But whatever's working, keep doing it. Whatever's not working, don't do it. I'm a big, big um, believer yep. in that. And then one thing was really crazy for me in New Mexico was we thought, like we've been hunting elk for a long time 
and you have kind of a distance gauge. Every time you hear a bugle, it's like, oh, it's this far away. Well, New Mexico really screwed with my head because the bulls would sound like, oh, yeah, they're just right over here. You know, yep. they're like 300 yards away, 200 yards away. They could be almost a mile away. Yep. The, because of the den, because of the, the how dense the timber is or the the cover there, it's not as they don't have big tall trees yeah, like we open. have up in the north, yeah. northwest. It's more open, so the sound travels so much further and it's so much louder. Um, you, I felt like there were several days I was like, oh, I would set up and think I'm going to call this bull in, and he was still a quarter of a mile away. Yeah, I was not even in the realm of calling this bull in. So you have to really factor that in. Um, to your calling setups too, especially New Mexico. I mean, it's a different sound uh, travel pattern there. So, We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in they got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want land.com isn't just about buying and selling it's about finding a place to hunt fish explore or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth market house has the cleanest leanest juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier yeah and market house provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken Mm. grass-fed lamb and even wild-caught king crab and seafood Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. All right, next question. Hey, Derek. This is uh, Dimitri just calling. I just got back from a Montana archery hunt. Uh, I had a bull come in to 40 yards that I had just previously ranged. I was uh, standing in front of some brush in a tree, and the elk came in so fast, I didn't have time to draw. He faced straight at me and was sniffing around looking for the cow that I I just called. And uh, I felt like five minutes I was frozen, couldn't move. He finally turned, quartered a little bit, and took three steps in front of, right behind two trees. And so my question is, should I have tried to pin that needle between those trees? Uh, Should I have tried to take that funnel shot? 
Um, when he did quarter two and got his head behind one of the trees, uh, I did draw back, but he never seemed to give me really my shot that I was kind of looking for. I was hoping that he would take a couple of steps, um, but he never did, and he uh, just kind of trotted off after I uh, tried to call Callum back. But, yeah, I just wanted to see if you got any tips for me on that. Thanks, Dirk. Man, um, so I've I've been a big fan of frontals for a long time. Anybody that's heard me talk or, or uh, talk about frontals knows that I'm a big fan. Now at 40 yards, I'm not a big fan, right? So I'm going to... I'm not telling you what to do. Like this is a decision everybody's got to make, but for me, 40 yard frontal is not, not going to happen. Um, no matter how excited I am, no matter how much I want to kill a bull, I know my limits usually going into season and I've never been comfortable to a point where a 40 yard frontal was like on the table. I've got to hit a four inch wide, um, slot. And if I can't guarantee that arrow is going to hit inside of that four inch wide by about 12 inch tall pocket, you know, 10 inch tall I, uh, pocket, I'm, I'm not shooting. Um, so I would say frontals off, off the table, um, you know, shooting between, between two trees. Um, I've got to guess a little bit here, right? We didn't, we don't got all the information. I'm going to assume you had vitals between those two trees. Um, at that point, there's no harm, right? You're either going to hit them where you need to hit them. If, if it's the vitals or you're going to stick a tree, um, I'd be way more comfortable with a shot between two. It sound like maybe there's a, an opening between these two trees, um, I'm way more confident there as long as I can tell where the anatomy of this elk lays out in between those two trees. You know, um, not everybody knows elk are big, yellow, tan critters. Um, you can get real confused real quick, especially if that gap between those two trees is tight. You might not know if you're hitting guts, back haunch, um, shoulder blade, right? If you can't make out definition. And so shooting between these two trees could be risky, but if you're confident, um, if you can maybe see his head sticking out one side, his hind end sticking out the other and can gauge where you're at. Um, I'm very confident shooting between two trees because I feel like I'm either going to hit him where he needs to be hit, assuming he's at 40 yards or I'm going to hit a tree. And, and worst thing is I, I lose a broadhead to a, a tree, um, to, to back up a little bit. Um, you know, yeah, elk, we still get surprised all the time on, on elk coming in silent. You know, it's, it's crazy how, how quiet a 800 pound plus or minus critter can be. But, uh, I've learned that a lot of my success hinges on this, that very short window of hearing, seeing, knowing a bull's there and getting your bow drawn in a, in a, in a timely fashion that one, you don't have to hold it forever, but two, you've got it drawn before he can see you draw it. Um, you know, learning that it's almost more of a, of an art than it is, a than it is anything else is just knowing when and what you can get away with and getting drawn back. But, um, yeah, aside from that, um, I don't have a lot of other advice. Like you got to be very confident, uh, you know, is, as Dirk had mentioned, he knows he's, he's hundred percent confident if it's inside hundred or inside 40 yards, he's going to, he's going to make the shot. Um, you know, same thing here. If that bull's inside 40 yards, I'm, I'm very comfortable and, and, and if I'm going to make that shot, I want to be hundred percent confident that I'm going to kill it. And so, um, I don't like a 40 yard frontal and I, I like the shot between the tree, but you know, having your bow drawn back soon enough that you don't have to try to decide when to draw. And if they're going to draw why they're, you know, if you're going to get away with drawing while they're looking at you, um, you try to prevent all that from being drawn before they, their eyes are out in the open. Yeah, I have to agree with all that. That's a great, that's spot on. Um, and I will say this too, as far as um, alert elk in a frontal position, a bull that's alert and, and looking like has stopped and is looking for that other bull or cow, um, they're, they're, they're on high alert at that point. Um, so at 40 yards, when your bow goes off, it seems like your bow's shooting fast, but there's an, there's enough time for between the, the time your bow goes off and that arrow reaches that elk for that, that bull to be facing the complete opposite direction. They can spin on a dime very quickly. So I don't really recommend um, a frontal shot on an alert elk, whether it's at 10 yards or at 40 yards. I've been around, I've taken a frontal shot, a couple of them. I've I've been around other folks who have taken frontal shots and the bulls that are, that have coming in like on full alert when that shot's taken, 
you know, maybe the pin, everything is in the perfect spot, but at the very split second that that bow goes off and the arrow reaches the elk, they can move. And now it's not hitting in that same slot that Jason was talking about. And now it's, now it's going to be a track job that you may or may not re yield a bull elk. So, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky situation. And especially at 40 yards, I, I don't recommend a, a frontal shot at, at 40 yards whatsoever, period. Um, they need to be closer, 20 yards or less. Um, there's so many things to consider, like the angle of the elk. Is he quartering this way? Is he quartering that way? Is he above you? Is he below you? All the angles have to be good to thread that, that, that arrow right down the pipe, right? So um, consider extreme angles. Um, whether it's up or high or low and angles of quartering. Um, and then the alert factor, if that bull's not super alert, um, yeah, he may not know what hit him and he's going to tip over dead in 40 yards yep. on a perfect shot. So that's my advice. All right. We have time for one more question. Dirk, my name is Preston Dressler. I live in Southwest Oregon. I hope, to harvest my first Roosevelt elk in the next few years. I've been after them for eight years plus. I'm hunting at over 6,000 feet, so obviously a very different terrain for Roosevelt. However, I understand that they live here year-round and have had several close encounters, just not what put one in the freezer yet. I'd love to hear some information on hunting Roosevelt's in the mountains. Uh, I'm a rifle hunter. My season isn't until around Thanksgiving. Obviously, this is after the rut. Snow's normally on the ground, but the elk are being quiet. It's a, a you know, a bull-only tag, so unfortunately cows aren't an option for me um, with relatively low success. I'd love to hear some tips on how to find the elk come November. Uh, I'm in contact with my wildlife uh, experts in the area. Uh, unfortunately, this is a deer unit, so they don't have a lot of information for me. Please let me know what I should be doing what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Love the podcast. Hope to hear more soon. Bye-bye. All right. So high, it sounds like high mountain Roosevelt hunting, you know, Cascade Roosevelt. I've got a lot of experience. I've, I hunt Cascade Roosevelt's growing up, um, still do occasionally, but I've never had the experience, uh, hunting them in, in rifle season. Um, you know, you add snow in, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of components to this question. I'm trying to to kind of go back through them. Um, Post-rut, I'm just going to boil it down to, to, to just what I know. Um, Post-rut, an elk's job now is to fatten up and eat as much as he can. He's going to, typically the big bulls are going to go into solitude. Um, smaller bulls may bachelor back up. Um, some small bulls may stay with the herd. Um, so it really depends on what your goal is going into the hunt. Um, you know, some of the times I've hunted late, uh, I'm, I'm looking for where is that bull going to find solitude and the feed that he needs to, to basically put on as much fat, as much weight, and, and regain as much of that health as he can to get through um, that winter. Um, if there's snow on the ground, I use that snow to my advantage, whether it's, uh, you know, you mentioned being high in the mountains. I don't know if there's a road system leading in or a trail system. Um, cutting tracks can, can tell you more than, than anything else can, where the elk have been recently, where they've been for the last couple of days, weeks, um, whatever it may be. Um, I don't know if you can glass in this area. If you can glass, I love to get up and look into openings early, um, where they may be feeding or where I can maybe look into some, um, some, some spots and, and you may, some people may know what I'm talking about, but they're these spots that aren't like you're glassing a clear cut or, um, an alpine, um, above the tree area, but it's, there are these spots that may have avalanche shoots or they may have little teeny pockets in the timber you can look in. Um, those are the spots in, in those later elk seasons. I like to look because those elk want to be, um, you know, where there's food, which will be these small little micro openings. Um, but they want to be secure and have that security and, and, and kind of that, that, uh, solitude, um, so I'm looking in, in areas like that. Um, one thing I like to do, I like to all, 
I, I do two things. I, I want to be able to find elk, obviously, so you can gloss you know, miles across canyons or miles from ridge to ridge. But I also like to be in the hunt. Um, I like to look at canyons where if there is an elk there and the wind's going to be right, I can shoot across that canyon. I'm in the hunt versus there are times where I consider I'm hunting, but I'm out of the hunt, right? I'm glassing at something 2,000, 3,000 yards away, hoping to find something that I can then play on, but I'm never in the hunt at that moment. Um, and so I, I, I tend to like to, to, to be in the hunt when I can or, or when I'm looking at spots, but um, cutting sign, obviously going to be your best bet. Calling, it, there's there's no denying it's, it's off the table. Um, cutting tracks, um, glassing in spots where other people aren't going to um, a lot of times these bulls are going to want to be away from pressure away from people um if it's a, if it's a cow tag you know if you're allowed to sh- i think he did say bulls right um you know so so scratch that but you will find if you're looking for any bull a lot of times those you know, those younger bulls will stay with the herd um especially as roosevelt uh, tend to do um, so if you find a large herd, I would definitely concentrate on that as well. Those bigger bulls will typically, as soon as the rut uh, kind of winds down, they're going to be off on their own um, away from from all the cows. But um, not a great answer. Um, elk, we we still kill Cascade Roosevelt's, uh, you know, above the tree line, or, or I say we, or people that I know um, every year up high um, until the snow basically forces them down. Um, so you can go high, which it sounds like where you're at and, and, you know, it, it can work. So, um, not a great answer, but that, that's really all you can do is find tracks, um, concentrate on those micro openings. A lot of times those bulls aren't going to want to be out in the wide open where, where you may have found them in September, or October. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the best I can, can give on that one. You know, I can't really add much at all to that. I mean, that was exactly how I would approach it. I don't. I can't really speak to to, to Roosevelt's, but elk or elk, right? They need they don't need all the same things. Iraqi needs all the same things that Roosevelt needs. You know, they need they need food. They need security. Um, they need to be. You know, they need to recoup from the rut, right? So, just to recap, um, if you're just having a hard time finding elk, like start start cast a wide net in the beginning. Drive the road system. Look for elk. They're going to if they're if they're going to cross roads. Maybe it's a trail system. Hike the trails. A lot of times, elk hunting with a rifle is all about boot leather and glass, right? So if if you need to hike a lot and just find elk, if you can't, if it's not an area you can glass up, maybe you just got to cover tons of country in a day, just to just hike a lot until you find sign, and then slow down and hunt from there. Like Jason said. Um, you know, bigger areas, you know, you may be able to glass in some clear cuts or whatever and find some elk. You know, a lot of times you're going to find the cows um, and maybe younger bulls, more mature bulls. A lot of times will, like he just said, will will separate themselves looking for those micro habitats, those, those little, those avalanche shoots, those smaller openings in the timber, um, just those micro places where they don't have to travel far. They can bed a hundred yards away, they can go over there. They can eat their belly full. Maybe there's somewhere to get some water, or maybe they don't need any water at that point because there's enough snow on the ground. Whatever, whatever the case may be, um, to locate them that way, and then and then dig in. Whether you need to can shoot long range across the canyon, you know, within within range, within reason, or maybe it's like okay, I've 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 spotted that bull. I've I've used my onyx to to pinpoint that little location. Maybe you're gonna have to get over there and and dig in and hike that that timber pocket to find that bull. But, uh, that's, that's how I would approach it too. Um, so anyway, thanks Jason. I yeah, appreciate, yeah, I appreciate all these answers. I mean, I, one of these days we're going to find some stuff we don't agree on <laughs> and we're going to have a debate. Like white tails versus mule deers. We've had that a few times. Well, yeah, night. we've had that a lot. You know, people may not know this. Jason has a lot of hobbies, but, but I call it arguing, but <laughs> debate, healthy debate. debate. Healthy but he says, debate. Hey, healthy debates. Like I, I think healthy debates, one of his favorite hobbies. <laughs> so I, I'm always challenging him on things because I know how much he enjoys it. And I sure do too. But, uh, one of these days we're going to have a debate on here. We're going to take, um, opposite sides on something and like you know i mean we could go all night about white tails and, and mule deer um but you know that's for another another conversation yeah, yeah. appreciate it but uh, hey you know we can do this again sometime guys um if you guys want to call in to the super secret hotline it's 208 
219-719-7701. Leave a message. It can't be over three minutes long. I think that's what it is, three minutes long. Or it'll just cut you off. Yeah, yeah. and don't, don't no more than three minutes because you won't remember the question. You're going to have to like play it back three or four times so you can put it all together. Yeah, we're simple-minded yeah, people. Yeah. Like we're, our, our memories are not that long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to play it two or three times. Wait, what did they say? So um, anyway, call in with your, your questions, um, and we'll get uh, either J- Jason or myself or maybe one of the guests on here to answer the question. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. For three days only, save up to 30% off bestsellers from First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store. They'll also have for sale the Bear Grease Trucker Hats and Camo. They're included in this sale and all the great gear on First Light. Whether you're fishing, shed hunting, scouting, sighting in rifles, or cutting lanes, your gear needs to keep up with all your spring and summer pursuits. The sale has you covered. Hurry, the sale ends May 16th. Shop now at firstlight.com, F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com.